filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster You know, respect to Harry Kane. Congrats to him. But he, he ruined for me what was going to be a really fun afternoon of Schadenfreude. Well, Schadenfreude and staying home with my sick kid, uh, which was less fun. This was a nice respite. He, he, he denied me my respite by, you know, saving England and bringing joy to millions of people in, in the UK. So I can't be that mad at him, but uh, for the longest time, I I think ever since I, I spent a semester in England, they have been my favorite team to root against. Not because I particularly dislike them, just because they have this quadrennial cycle of we're garbage, we suck, we're trash, we're never going to do anything, we should fire the manager, ditch all the players in the national team and, and start over. And then somehow, over the course of a few years, in between World Cups, they they end up amping themselves up to, uh, we're gonna win it this year. This is our year, and and in this year it's it's a little different. This year they have a younger team, but they you can still feel it that we're we're different this year. It's gonna be great. It came a little later, and and then they went out and very nearly didn't beat Tunisia until a you know stoppage time winner from Harry Kane. But I feel like that's just gonna make the the cliff even steeper down the line and it's going to be it's going to be fun for me i'm just saying that right now i love rooting against england uh, did you guys notice the sheer uh, volume of mosquitoes and gnats and whatnot flying around uh the players in that game how could you not uh it it was uh it was un- unpleasant to look at uh, i can only imagine that- being out in it it is disgusting and that's even with the multiple times that they've sprayed down the entire stadiums that they've mentioned on the broadcast. So apparently summer in Russia is just full of bugs. Yeah, uh, it depends on where you go. Um, but yeah, apparently a lot of Russia, a lot of areas where the tundra um, is like just when you're just south of tundra areas. I don't know the full uh, reason for it, but apparently those reason, regions of the world um develop just a massive mosquito problem in the summer um alaska apparently has a huge um mosquito problem to the point that i I think the joke is that it's the state bird it's like one of those kind of things right Um, but yeah like when i heard that they were going to use a helicopter to drop a bunch of insecticide on the stadium in russia my first thought you know honesty was i don't know if that's such a good idea for like the people that are going to be there because I don't know that the Russian government is the most trustworthy in terms of uh, what chemicals they might toss around. Um, but then it looks like maybe they didn't have strong enough chemicals to get rid of the mosquitoes in the first place. So I, well, I guess the people or there they used the wrong chemicals. It's possible that the mosquitoes all survived and the people in attendance will all get cancer. So yeah, we've created we've created literal superbugs. 
it's possible. I mean, anything is possible in this day and age. Um, is it possible that some of the people in attendance will turn into mosquitoes? Or perhaps mansquitoes? Well, if this is like a, a Kafka sort of situation, I would say it's less likely because the uh, checks didn't get into the tournament. But, um, you know, you can't rule it out. Someone might wake up and not be sure whether um, they're just having a dream of being a, a mosquito or if they are a mosquito. Well, I'm just referencing the sci-fi original movie, Mansquito. I was referencing Kafka. Well, I know that. Did Kafka write Mansquito? (laughs) We can't rule it out. I think we can. There could be a lost uh, Kafka tome sitting in an archive somewhere that the sci-fi original TV producers somehow found and wrote up and stole. You know, I'm going to need some evidence. I like the idea. I, I like the idea of going through a a revered author's uh, final half written manuscripts and finding a script for Mansquito or something along those lines. Um, that I think would make me extremely happy if that was the case. If it was like, you know, um, uh, which one was it? There was one of these like post Sharknado movies that came out. There was a movie where the shark. Uh, the the evil shark was killed and it was a ghost and the ghost got into or the ghost didn't want to leave water because it was a shark and so it got into the public water supply and at one point got into like an office water cooler um, but it could still kill people somehow despite being a ghost in inside water um, and not through drowning them but through like biting them um, so I literally googled the phrase ghost shark and that is in fact the name of the film okay I <laughs> Sure that it was Ghost Shark, um, but I've seen this movie uh, while drunk on Halloween, and it just came on after some other movies. And I was like, "What is happening here?" And then once once I my mind came to grips with the fact that it was a movie about a ghost shark who was trapped in water, um, I did not change the channel. I said, "Okay, I'm, I'm riding <laughs> this one all the way to the end." Um, and it what was just that... as stupid as it sounds. Going back to the man, like an 1800s uh, author of some kind, like William Faulkner, uh, his last manuscript was just about a ghost shark trapped in water. Going back to Mansquito, I feel like it's a combination of I forced this bot to read thousands of pages of Kafka and watch thousands of hours of sci-fi original movies, and this is what happened. But Mansquito is one of the very first. It is like the 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 Ur manuscript for sci-fi original movies. And that explains which I think, that. Which makes it even more delightful. Makes it even more something. I haven't seen it in 13 years, so don't at me about hey, your hey, Mansquito welcome opinion. In. This is Filibuster, <laughs> the Black and Red United and sci-fi original movies podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United, and that's what we're talking about tonight, as always. They played a wild, thrilling, weird, insert descriptor here, match against Toronto FC last Wednesday. Uh, 4-4 to draw there after leading 3 to nothing. Yeah, it was, it was quite, a, quite a thing. Uh, we're going to talk about that in the first segment. In the second segment, we will break down... Uh, we'll preview DC United's upcoming Open Cup game this week against the Purple Lions of Orlando City. That's Wednesday night at the Soccerplex. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? 
Uh, it sucked outside today. It was very hot and humid and just deeply unpleasant to be out at all. Um, and when our weather in this region gets like that, the only solution is to go to your gin um, and put that in something else. So I, I have myself a gin Ricky uh, with Tanqueray, um, and uh, it's it's doing what it was supposed to do, which is to refresh me and uh, rejuvenate me a little. I don't feel like I'm carrying uh, a, another Jason on my back everywhere, uh, just from the heat and the oppressive nature of our uh, our summers. Ben? What are you drinking? So I uh, had two cookouts this weekend, one with some friends, one just with myself for Father's Day. And at the first one, uh, my friends brought over some beer because I was providing the... uh, We smoked some uh, hamburgers and then seared them. Uh, And then I cooked hot dogs for the the children as well. Um, But they left me some Sweet Baby Jesus from Duclaw Brewery. And... I love a good peanut butter stout, so that's what I'm enjoying. That's good. It is the opposite of the kind of beer I would want today, though. Yeah. It is also disgusting here. Yeah, I feel like you've always got, like, a little more humidity and a little higher temperature at any given time. I don't know. Usually. I feel like Richmond's got to be, like, a couple degrees warmer all the time. Probably. Permanent state Often. of things that can never change. <laughs> As for me, I have a mezcal mule tonight. Uh, I, I had lime, but no club soda. The only sparkling beverage uh-huh. I had was ginger beer. So I, I, I keep missing out on my gin ricky by not having the proper ingredients. This is poor planning on my part every single week. It's becoming a theme. Uh, but I'll make do with a mezcal mule that's pretty tasty in its own. Uh, let's. Let's talk about soccer. Probably the weirdest MLS game this year went down Wednesday night in Toronto. Uh, DC United, that team that's last in the East, flying directly from the West Coast on short rest, playing their 10th road game of the year out of 12 uh, to start, came out and hung three on Toronto FC, the defending champions of everything except CONCACAF. just came out on fire, put three up in the first half, and then the second half happened. Uh, they they allowed TFC to come all the way back three to three, and then somehow, miracle of miracles, scored a fourth goal, only to allow Toronto FC to equalize again. And then DC United almost got a fifth, just because um, that didn't happen because Yamil Assad's nervous system was too busy keeping him alive after about a million minutes over the last week. Uh, and he couldn't kick the ball. I, I'm not even blaming him. I'm not even mad about it. He he ran himself into the ground. Uh, but but this game was was a night I think a lot of people watching aren't going to soon forget. Um, that is if they can can remember it because Jason, it was a little bit dreamlike. Uh, it was weird. Um, it was a weird game um, to come to grips with uh, the fact that things went so well for United and it wasn't even that it was an accident. It wasn't like they just stumbled into some goals. Um, they were making these goals happen. They were forcing Toronto into bad positions. They were taking the ball off Toronto with their high pressure. Um, they really looked uh, in complete control um, for 45 minutes. And then 
TFC obviously made some pretty big changes. Um, at halftime, they pulled um, Zavaleta for um, uh, Tosaint Ricketts, and it was like, uh, you know, the, there was a heavy wind, and um, all of the goals except for United's fourth were scored in the goal that, that was uh, being uh, attacked by this pretty savage wind going across the field. Um, but I don't think this was a it wasn't like the wind was so pronounced that, you know, the ball was doing strange things or anything. Um, so it, it, you could only blame the environment a very small amount. I think mostly it was just this bizarre mix of United being really good at going forward uh, to start games and then very mentally fragile later. And so you end up with this, um, you know, the emotional state that I, I was in at the end of the game was not even mad or amused. It was just, stunned um you know when when dc scored a goal uh, uh the fourth goal i i didn't even say you know i didn't celebrate i was just like oh my god this this scored a goal they haven't done anything for like half an hour they haven't gone forward for half an hour just been unrelenting pressure um and then they managed to walk the ball into the back of the net and then they still don't end up winning the game um so yeah it was a an utterly bizarre uh game played at a really really, really high tempo. I mean, um, TFC completed over 650 passes and yet it wasn't like they had 80% of possession. DC still had, um, 338 passes. They still had an 81% passing accuracy. So this game was just played at this breakneck, um, pace for the entire game. It's just that one team was pushing their foot down on the gas in the first half. And then it's like they switched seats and the other team was, um, hammering away for the second half it was just uh it strange a collectively strange game everyone everyone in the game got kind of caught up in the the strangeness of it and that's one of the ways you end up with a game that ends up four four and could have ended up like seven to six ben what was your experience of this game i have a theory that um this World Cup has been kind of weird. There's been some weird games in the World Cup, and this this game happened the day before the World Cup kicked off, and I think it was just a, a little taste of, of what was coming. How, how did you experience this one? Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. There have been some uh, breakneck uh, games, such as the uh, the Costa Rica game that we, that we saw recently. That was an insane game. Um, I've, my experience of it was, unlike Jason, I was I was fairly mad at the end of the game. Uh, just the fact that it was there for the grabbing, even against the defending MLS Cup champs. Uh, going up 3-0 is an insane lead to lose, and now DC United has done that multiple times recently. Or, yeah, I think multiple, yes, because the Seattle game from last year was a similar situation as well. And we'll, we'll probably get into eventually, maybe not in this podcast, maybe down the road, whether or not we think it's a coaching thing, if it's a roster construction thing, wh- whether or not it's a bit of both, which is the most likely situation. But I left the game frustrated and annoyed and mad and ready for something to happen. Well, let's build up to that in, in this episode. Let's start at the beginning. What worked so well in that first half? DC United came out, and Toronto had their chances early, but DC United uh, definitely had the better of the chances and actually put them away. Um, 
not not all of them. They they left a at least a goal, maybe two, uh, on the table. Even they could have had four or five in the first half. That's how uh, good in the attack DC United were. Jason, what was it that was working? Um, the off the ball movement was really good. Um, when TFC would send numbers forward, DC managed to turn them turn them over right at the right time. Where, um, you know maybe someone from TFC is thinking like I'll hold and then they see a window where it's like, Oh, I should jump, jump into the attack. And then right as they're doing that, the ball gets turned over and DC is immediately attacking the space that was abandoned by whoever that was. Um, be it, you know, a central midfielder or right back or left back. Um, they were really accurate in picking out runners over distance to open the field up. Um, and they were just really clinical in, in breaking out on the counter. They, they weren't, taking an extra touch they weren't missing you know they they weren't missing someone's intentions where if you needed the ball in space the pass was in space it wasn't a pass where someone had to slow down and and collect the ball and then move on um just everything seemed to be clicking um the high press was effective uh at uh forcing toronto to turn the ball over in their own defensive third um it just was one of those games where um everything is going exactly according to plan um, and it, it's a rare thing to see it work that well, because I mean, we've all seen enough soccer at this point where we know that it's difficult. It's a hard sport to get to work, uh, correctly that often and to that degree. So, um, it was a little bit of a charmed occasion where it wasn't luck. It was just, if everyone has a good night at the same time, this is the kind of thing that can happen. Um, TFC seemed surprised by DC's uh, approach, which was not anything abnormal for them. It was still a um, principally a counterattacking approach with the occasional um, uh, attempt to high press when, when the moment was right. And, and it wasn't like they fielded unusual players in unusual roles. It was pretty much like, this is what DC's game plan is supposed to look like when it works correctly. And TFC was, I, for reasons I don't understand, not really prepared at halftime or in the first half. And that's how, when all those things kind of come together, you can end up with a team that has struggled all season being three, nothing up against the, you know, a extremely talented team like Toronto. One thing that I thought was interesting is the, the very different ways the three goals came about. Um, the, the first goal wasn't really a counterattacking goal. DC United strung a lot of passes together so much so that they got one of those, uh, tweets from the the league Twitter account um, with, with sped up video stringing all the passes together before the the actual incisive pass that that sets it up. Um, so it was nice to see United break a defense down, kind of move them around a little bit, and then exploit the the gap that they created. The second goal, Paul Ariola header. I think it just won goal of the week. Um, early cross on a counter from from Zoltan Stieber. Uh, to the head of Paul Ariola, who for a little guy, really good in the air when he has to be. Um, and then the third goal, high press, uh, Darren Maddox not pokes the ball away from a defender in his own box. Uh, and the ball bounces around a little bit before Maddox is able to, to smash it home. Just three very different goals that I think are, are, you know, kind of the, the ways you, you want to score from open play which was was nice to see. Uh, Less nice to see was what happened in the second half. Toronto, like Jason said earlier, made a change, pulled out Zavaleta, who was uh, a a disaster for Toronto. 
that entire first half. Yep. And then uh, they they put in Tosaint Ricketts up top, and he wasn't that much of a factor on the score sheet, but he having a, a true center forward up top, uh, and and possibly even more so, dropping Victor Vasquez into the midfield to pull some strings. Uh, made a huge difference. Toronto bombed forward and uh, put DC United on their heels, whether they wanted to be or not. And and that was really the story of the second half, I thought. Yeah. Um, and, and I think what it, it, it changed where the numbers on the field were, um, which sounds like a very basic thing. I mean, you pull a defender, you add a forward, of course, um, that's the case. But um I think what it did was is it allowed TFC to prevent DC's breakouts on the counter. And so instead of it being TFC would attack and then DC would win the ball and break out and then TFC would have to defend for a little while, it just was an unrelenting constant. You know, DC couldn't get two or three passes together before something would go wrong, the ball would go out, someone would, you know, cough it up, um, turn it over, and then it, it's back to defending again. Um, and, and I think that, you know, on one hand, as much as TFC deserves to be criticized for having no real apparent preparation for DC United uh, in the first half, they were really, really smart in how they adjusted to what was going wrong for them. Um, and they just made the game about, and it became like an offense versus defense drill. They just made the game about um, 45 minutes of sustained, almost constant attacks. Um, and eventually, you know, you, you throw in, DC's a pretty apparent fragility when they've got the lead at this point that, you know, I, this is a team that doesn't believe they can hold on to a lead very easily right now. They're, they're not confident in holding on to a, a good situation and TFC on the other side is still, you know, as much as their season hasn't gone according to plan, this is still a mentally very strong, very confident team. They have no, there, there's no um, hesitation in their ability to, to believe in themselves and, they go in at halftime and think we can still get something out of this game. And DC United goes in at halftime thinking they can still get something out of this game and right. it comes true. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, you know, credit to Greg Vanny for making the big adjustment. And it is frustrating to see that, um, you know, United maybe waited too long to make their adjustment. I know a lot of people were upset that um, Acosta came out for junior Moreno, but I would point out that, the the way the first 15 minutes of the second half went, uh, Acosta was basically not involved in the game at all. Um, and making a move, if anything, could have come a little earlier because United needed to uh, stem the tide and slow things down a little bit before. I mean, by that point, the train was kind of, um, you know, there's plenty of momentum behind it. You know, you're already, you're already going downhill at that point. It's hard to stop it when it gets going. Um, you know, a sub a sub five, even, even in the 50th minute, I mean, you end up with a, um, probably an issue in terms of, um, whether it's Lucho or somebody else coming off, they're not going to be happy getting sub five minutes of the second half, but you explain it to them, like, look, um, this game is clearly, it's a, we're playing a completely different game in the second half and TFC is setting all the terms. They're, uh, you know, they're storming the castle right now and we have to, we have to change what we're doing, um, and, and change our approach. And I think, in this case, the wait was a little too long um, to make that move. It's either that or you have to find a way to get an attacking player like Acosta involved again. And he can, you know, um, 
change the game by going forward the other way. I, you know, people tend to think of a number 10 as someone who can slow the game down when you need it, but that's not who Lucho is. He doesn't slow the game down. Um, right. He can control the ball in traffic, but he's usually looking for a killer pass. And so DC United tried to hold on and tried to hold on. I think that one of the other things that Toronto FC's shifted is it allowed Jonathan Osorio a little bit more freedom. And he scored the first goal for Toronto uh, on a late run into the box. Um, and Toronto obviously also got some good breaks. The Jovinko shot that knuckled, it, it, it wasn't a, a bending shot. It was a knuckling shot that happened to knuckle really hard right at the post instead of going wide so hard that it bounced back the direction it came and right to Victor Vasquez who, who put it into the, the roof of the net. Um, actually both their first goals went into the roof of the net, a millimeter difference on the, the shot and it goes wide. Obviously that didn't happen. They scored. What happened is what happened. Um, I want to drill down more on United's inability to hold a lead. Jason, you mentioned the mental fragility, Ben, what else is there for, to talk about on on this front, um, my problem came. My main problem came down to the inability of basically of most of the back line to defend. Um, I was rewatching the goals this uh, this evening, and on the first and third goal, just how deep Frederick Briant uh, drops without having anyone to mark. He's trying to mark space he's trying to mark the ball but on the first goal it's either he's about the only man who could have uh stepped up and 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 marked because everyone else had somebody except maybe Yamil Assad could have made the run from way out in midfield but that's not his guy uh Briant is trying to cut out the pass but by trying to cut out the pass he left the late runner just completely wide open um when it's a late runner, I think I, I put more emphasis on the midfield when it's a late runner. If it's somebody making the near post run, that that's the center back's job, even even the early back post run. But when but it's, he, when he, it's had, he had somebody runner, in front of him when, when it's somebody running out of midfield. It's a midfielder's job to track that run. And I, I think it's both like I think they're both problems here because sure. Briant had had so much other issues. Uh, in the game, and right, and the... go ahead. And then my issue with him on the third goal was a similar thing. He keeps he must be being told to do this, so maybe it's a coaching thing that he keeps pedaling, like running backwards and running backwards, and not marking a person trying to cut out the pass. And then he uh, again leaves uh, space wide open. But it's not just him; it's also uh, O'Neill Fisher got caught ball watching on the second goal. He could have like turned around and seeing where the rebound went uh and who and who got who got destroyed on the uh the um was, was it? So he, he he jumped over somebody's back was, was that mora yeah, it was either yeah mora yeah mora ended up uh one-on-one with the best aerial player tfc has which is never an ideal right show. And another, and then on the final goal, just to, to condemn the whole defense writ large, uh, after after the uh, the the corner is recycled and and a, a couple of times, 
it's eight guys all running out in the general direction of the ball, and it's Patrick Mullins has to try and run back to cover both Hagland and somebody else at the far post, and there's nobody else there. So that's just an indictment of the entire defense. Yeah, I think that was uh, Osorio again making the the back post run. If if Hagland hadn't been there, Osorio might have been able to to turn that ball in himself. Um, yeah, the the team looked beat i wonder how in this instance i wonder how much fatigue had to do with it i mentioned Assad being completely gassed uh by the end of the game he played jason i think you were the one that pointed this out to me he played 210 minutes last week in the open cup game played 90 minutes in seattle and then played, between the open cup and seattle oh two yeah sorry 210 between those two games and then 90 minutes against toronto on wednesday that is a lot of games and a lot of minutes in eight days um, and Assad's a, a high work rate player. He's not going to be right. He, he, he's not Andrea Pirlo, just you know, holding a glass of wine in the center circle. He is getting up and down. Uh, so I like I mean, like I said, his he was. I was surprised he didn't drop dead at the hour mark, let alone making it you know in front of goal in the ninety or in stoppage time. It's funny because he ended up, and I, I'm not sure he's the DC player I would have picked to put on team of the week, but he ended up getting from MLS's uh, staff. They put him on the team of the week. Um, he scored two goals against the defending champs. You get team right, of the week. And, and was generally uh, pretty dangerous throughout this game. Yeah. I mean, um, the two goals weren't really an accident. So, um, you know, it's a testament to his uh, fitness levels, but I do think that team-wide I think this is a group that could have used some rotation but at certain spots where the demands are the highest there aren't really healthy players to rotate in you know the the fullbacks there's no there are no fullbacks to turn to um there was a moment in this game where Mora got uh you know he, he needed some treatment for a moment and it was like you know they're gonna have to bring Jalen Robinson into play right back that a position we know he's not comfortable in and O'Neal Fisher is going to have to go to left back, which is a position that he has been worse at than right back when he's played um, mm-hmm. over there this season. And that's the best, that's the best solution we have. It's that or um, put Robinson in the middle and play Steve Birnbaum as a fullback and take it back to um, uh, what 2015 was the last time we saw Birnbaum having to play fullback for a extended period of time. So yeah, um, it you know with the the number of players who are missing due to uh injury or or what have you right now and you know it's a funny thing because it's not like um it's not like a list where it's just a bunch of people with hamstring strains um you've got you know de leon's got a you know a knee injury that's unspecified but um didn't look like a muscular thing it looked like uh something else um so that that doesn't hurt you or doesn't help. Kofi Opare uh, twisted his ankle uh, in training. Uh, you know, that's one that you can't really legislate for it, it. You know, Chris Odoyacham needed a surgery to re- relieve compartment syndrome. There's, you know, not a lot you can do there. You know, yeah, that's just, a rough one. Yeah. And it's just, it, you know, Segura's injury was by all accounts, a contact injury um, in a, in a challenge. Um Canals has a knee injury that was probably something is probably some kind of challenge in preseason. Um, you know, there are no, the only player listed with a muscular injury on the injury report right now is Taylor Kemp. And his is still one that re- has required a surgery and multiple specialists. And we don't even know exactly what it is. 
um, because at, at different times it's been a hernia or a groin or a hip. So, um, you know, it just so happens that because United's roster is, you know, it's not filled out. They don't have 30 players under contract. Um, this is a situation you find yourself in with six six players. And, you know, of that group, you could say Kemp, Canal, Segura, De Leon, Opare. Those guys are making the 18 if everyone's healthy in a lot of cases. So, um, you know, it's, it's really tough when you get a three-game week and you've got 20 players to pick from. Um, and you don't have any fullbacks to, to rotate. I mean, the, the only rotation they made in this game was Durkin. Um, yeah. And it's, I was surprised that Bruno Miranda didn't get a start, but I understand why we ended up only seeing um, one player cycle in. It's just the DC's lot in life. I mean, we had, um, I want to say when Mora went down, Paul Ariola was playing right back for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. Probably consult. Um, I know yeah. it's on that. Yeah, it, it you know, things got weird in this game and it, it didn't relent. And it might have helped to have one more fresh player out there to um, weather the storm. But, I, you know, going back to when, you know, Ben Ben was and Ben was upset at the end of the game. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's completely reasonable to be upset. Uh, in my mind, though, is sort of a double think going on where on one hand, it's a three nothing lead and there's no reason that you should give up a three nothing lead to anybody. You know, if you put DC United out against Real Madrid and you give them a three nothing lead at halftime, they should hold on to that game. Um, but at the same time, they did go to Toronto and get a point, which I think none of us were expecting. Um, and so right, there's one of those, of if you tell me beforehand what the result would be versus how it actually went down. Right, and we've had a lot of those um, yes. in recent yeah, times. Which is, I mean, this is a frustrating team, and so I can understand why people are upset because this team isn't – they're not getting – it's not a 0-0 draw where you're like, well, that was boring. Um, it's a, you know, this incredible drama where it's up and down and, and you have, you know, a golden opportunity to take three points and then you throw it away and then you take it back again and then you throw it away again. Um, it You know, it, it – they're not playing quiet, boring games. This is not the um the old uh the DC of you know 2014, 2015, where they just ground games out and even the wins were kind of boring and uneventful. Um, this is a team that every week provides you with some sort of wild drama. It's just not necessarily uh wild drama that ends in a positive manner for DC United fans. Um there's promise. Um, I, if the team was bad, if they were just a bad team, then they wouldn't they wouldn't be so frustrating. They would just you would just be like, this team sucks, and that's it. Um, but they have when, the promise to to do better, and so it's much more frustrating that they're so close, and then they can't quite get over the line. Right. If this were 2010 or 2013 again, I'd just be I'd, I'd be depressed not mad but this team has so much more talent far more talent than either of those teams ever had and so that's what makes me mad is the fact that there is so much talent especially attacking talent and it's it's just not working right now there are two things i want to touch on here uh one is that progress is very rarely linear and i think this team is a a good very good evidence of that. Cause I think they are better now than they were at the beginning of the year. They're certainly better than they were last year, but 
it doesn't show all the time. You see, you see glimpses of of the promise in the first half against Toronto, uh, and then you see that they're they're not there yet, <laughs> and and you get those fits and starts, and and I think that that's going to continue for at least the next several games, uh, if not for the rest of the season. Hopefully, they they figure it out and create a a new floor for themselves a a new higher floor for themselves uh compared to where they are now but you know we're still seeing that that progress is not a a linear process uh the other is going back to the depth thing from from earlier uh it's it's really i guess part of the weirdness of this game that outside midfielder uh, the wing is where we felt the the lack of depth more than any other place on the field, which is not what I would have expected coming into the season with with Paul Ariola, Yamil Assad, Zoltan Stieber, all fighting for for starting minutes. They we managed to get them all in the field uh, at the same time, and I think the team is better for that. But there's there's not as much depth at that outside spot right now as a result, um, which is probably part of the reason why dc united is out shopping for uh, a young dp qualifying uh a- attacker uh <laughs> and I-, I i do want to shout out uh one listener who is uh exiled underscore mls on on twitter who who went out and found john murillo a venezuelan playing for benfica right now who who looks like he checks all the boxes uh that that DC United is looking for, uh, as reported by Steve Goff, in in the complimentary piece to to join Wayne and Rooney in the summer transfer window. Um, I don't know much about him. I'm I'm sure we'll hear more about him and some other candidates in the the coming days and weeks. But it, give me a fullback or a center back for that amount of money first. Or I, even half I, that I don't, money. I don't. Even, yeah, you can spend half that money and and not worry about you know. A, a DP slot. You can get a TAM center back or a, a sub TAM fullback even. Or a DP. I'd, I'd be fine with a DP in either of those positions. That's the, that's the need right now. A, a, a young attacker would be great, especially if they think they can flip him in a couple of years. But this team this year, especially with Rooney coming in, in theory, needs a, a fullback or a center back. I think they, I think this week showed that with, more three game weeks coming up in the future. There's they, they need more depth at outside midfielder as well. Um, because Olsen wasn't comfortable taking Assad off the field and, in three straight games for what, 300 minutes. And that's, you know, that that's not sustainable. So we need both. We need to, to increase our depth at the back and at the front as well. Yeah, I, I mean, personally, at this point, I think I would rather have um, a Tam attacking signing and more of a young DP fullback. We, you know, we talked about Milton Valenzuela clones um, mm-hmm. at least once. Um, but if it's the other way around, it's not a disaster. But they have to do something. Um, if if we come through the big signing, you know, press conference like last year, and there's a bunch of players and Wayne Rooney or whoever's up there. And then we talk to the other guys as well. If none of those guys is a fullback or a center back or something defensive, um, then, you know, 
buckle in for a bunch more four four games, I guess, because um, you know the, I think this team needs to upgrade at the top line of its defense. It's, this is not about improving depth. They need they need no. to improve their depth by pushing down from the top, so everyone moves down yes. a level. Um, so that we're talking about um, De Leon, Fisher, and Mora all fighting for one spot rather than. Um, those guys and another new guy being all battling for time that the new guy needs to be someone who is clearly going to improve the defense um, without a doubt. Um, but right now we don't have any, you know, there's no active rumors that I know about uh, linking DC to a defender specifically. So um, hopefully it'll it, be like the Paul Ariola signing from last year. Right. Um, you know, or, or Zoltan Stieber that just sort of came up um, at the end. It's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, yeah, we'll just throw this one in as well. Um, I know that. I mean, they've they've they're not they're not you know any any team that's given up as many goals as DC. No one's lacking awareness in the idea that they need to improve the individual players. They do also just need to improve the defensive structure, their ability to adjust when teams really throw the kitchen sink at them. Um, yeah, to such an extent that I, I wouldn't mind hearing like we've signed a coach who's known for his. Uh, his uh, defensive game planning, things like that. I wouldn't mind at hearing that as an addition to the staff because, you know, right now this team is very good at going forward and very bad at having to go back and defend their goal. Um, and the effort is there. It's just the the thought process for individual players isn't right. And in this game, it wasn't so much the individual errors as just the team structure wasn't able they they weren't able to adjust their structure to deal with what tfc was doing in the second half and um they're lucky in a way they're lucky they got away with a draw um because they pretty much didn't mount an attack until their goal and even when they scored i remember feeling on some level like yeah but tfc still got a fourth goal in them like there's going to be six minutes of stoppage time that's enough time for toronto to score and it didn't even take them that long to get the goal um so yeah, uh, this is a team that needs better defensive structure and better defensive players. Um, and that's, you know, if they can make that happen, if they can improve the individuals as well as improve the structure, then there's enough firepower on this team to actually make some noise down the stretch. But it can't be, well, we added Rooney and we added this young designated player and we'll just try and score goals and figure it out at the back. That's not going to do it. Heard it here, folks. First, Matt's Hummels coming to Buzzard Point. Uh, if only. Uh, that's it for this segment. We will be right back to preview the U.S. Open Cup game against Orlando City. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean... Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. The greatest knockout soccer tournament in the globe is underway. Yeah, the quality of play might not match the Champions League. And it's got weird venues and odd match days and times that nobody can quite figure it out. But we love us, the U.S. Open Cup. See what I did there? See how I did that? (laughs) This week, the round of 16 goes down. And uh, our own national capital, Trash Pandas, will host the Central Florida Sea Cows. At least that's their names in an alternate universe. DC United host Orlando City at the Maryland Soccerplex Wednesday night. Go see it if you can. Uh, Stream it if you can't get out there. Michael Citro runs themainland.com on SB Nation. That's the Purple Lion flavored site uh, on our network. So uh, he's here to help us preview this game. Michael, welcome back to Filibuster. Hey, it's good to be back, guys. I usually don't get invited back anywhere I've previously been, so uh, appreciate it. <laughs> you know, we got to throw you a bone here now and now and again. What are you drinking? Uh, well, uh, as befits a game coming up between two really bad teams, I'm drinking a bad beer. Um, I'm drinking a Budweiser Freedom Reserve Red Lager, uh, which is supposedly based on or inspired by a George Washington recipe. Um, but I really feel bad for uh, the founding fathers if they were drinking this. <laughs> you know, times I, are tough. I'm not going to question your choices, but I, I hope you reflect on the choices they brought you to to that <laughs> drink. Yes, well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna blame this on my wife. She wanted to test it out, and um, um, yeah, no, neither of us are impressed. I I have been that spouse before um so so no judgment i i i jokingly referred to to orlando city as the sea cows and that's actually a name i've seen around i've seen orlando city logo mock-ups with sea cows uh on it and i'm curious what is this what is this thing this was a an april fools uh by the club uh, a few years back when they said they announced that they were rebranding and uh, came out with a sea cow on the uh, on the traditional Orlando City logo, and this was, I think, uh, before even MLS. So uh, it just kind of became an inside joke, and and people started asking for sea cows merchandise, and so the, the club said, uh, "Money, okay," and they started printing up <laughs> and scarves and, and stuff, and uh, and they've caught on. Seems reasonable. Uh, I, I guess the the biggest news out of Orlando at this point is Jason Christ being shown the door uh, six game winning streak followed by a six game losing streak I think the only draw you guys have is that week one uh, result against us against DC United um, 
what are your thoughts on on the firing and and where does Orlando City go from here? Well, uh, where where Orlando City goes from here is a is a great question. I'll start with the uh, the firing itself. I think that um, I understand why it happened. Um, this is very much a "what have you done for me lately" um, era for sports and, and just people in general. And you know, six losses in a row was pretty hard to take given the the quality of the roster. But that said. Most of those six games uh, lost in a row were done without the team, the club's only really viable um, uh, proven striker in Don Dwyer. Uh, he's just come back from injury. The bulk of the middle of that six-game skid was also um, down four center backs uh, and the starting right back and the second uh, string right back for a portion of that time. Uh, at one point, there was a defensive midfielder and a right back, a backup right back at that, playing center back for Orlando City for a couple of games. Um, and then uh, Yoshimar Yotun is off at the World Cup, and you know the the last part of that is that four of those six games were on the road, including a trip that uh, started um, it, for U.S. Open Cup to Miami, directly from Miami to Vancouver, directly from Vancouver to Montreal. And despite all of that, the team actually played well enough to probably win four of those six games. So to me, it was a little bit of a panic move by Orlando City. But again, I understand why they did it. It may have been necessary at some point, but I think as the players were just starting to return to health, um, Don Dwyer just came back, Jonathan Spector just came back, Lamine Sané should be coming back soon, as well as Scott Sutter, who just got cleared for full uh, training participation. It seemed like a bad time to do it because the guy who won six games in a row was just about to get the guys back who helped him win those six games in a row. Uh, Michael, you mentioned um, a lot. You know, there's some some really big uh, names that came in this offseason. This was a roster that Orlando, the, the organization, seemed to feel like they built a winner, and that's why you know, you, you end up with a, a, a very quick uh, trigger pull when it comes to Christ uh, being fired, um, or at least quick for MLS. Um, normally we're used to, you know, all, all across the league, guys can have a six-game losing streak and still stick around for a while. Um, shout out to Jay Heaps. Um, but one of, the, one of the players that I'm most curious about that I, when he was signed, I thought was a masterstroke, and it hasn't really worked out yet. Um, Oriol Roselle has started to play. It took a while for him to get in the lineup, but it hasn't necessarily uh, panned out just yet. What's going on there? Yeah, the odd thing about uh, bringing in Uri Roselle was that he seemed like he was assigning to bring in for the base of the diamond in a, in a 4-4-2 uh, diamond formation. Orlando City scrapped the diamond uh, after three games into the season and started going to a 4-2-3-1. He's, uh, he's been playing in that defensive midfield next to Chris Nikita, and they kind of play the same role. So it's it's almost like they're trying to occupy the same space quite a bit. And uh, ever since Yoshimar Yotun went off to uh, the World Cup, uh, there's been a, a lack of, of really anyone willing to get into offensive spaces. Nikita um, has done it a few times and scored a couple of goals, actually, which is unusual for him. But, um, it, yeah, we haven't seen the Rossell... Um, the full force of what he, he brought to Sporting Kansas City in, in his heyday there, but he, he still has that quality of where you'll 
you look at the stats he did at the end of the night, he's completed seven out of eight long passes and, and uh, has, a, has a high percentage of, of, of passing overall. So he's still doing a very good job quietly most of the time. Uh, he's had a couple of bad games, but um, you know he's really kind of still uh, a little bit behind the eight ball because he did start the season with a, an injury to his knee and has been slowly working his way back in. And the, the team has just had so many injuries, guys in and out of the lineup. He's really a, a, almost a casualty of, of chemistry problems at this point. Um, you mentioned the injuries, and I know that's been kind of an ongoing thing for Orlando since since the club really came into the league. Um, is there any concern about what's going on as far as the, the training side with the team? Yeah, I mean, this is something our fans always write to us about. There's, there's got to be something else going on, but it's been <laughs> ac- across multiple coaches. It's been across multiple uh, training staffs. It's been um, like – a couple of years ago, it was a rash of hamstrings, one hamstring after another. And this year, it's been like a lot of different weird things. Like, um, I mean, Spectre got a concussion. Chris Schuler broke his arm. Um, another guy did his knee. Another guy did his quad. Another guy did his adductor. These are all different, in- very different injuries. So I don't know really what you can point to and say, that's the that's the problem right there. Um, obviously, Spectre's problem is he shouldn't bonk heads with people. Uh, I don't, other than that, I don't, I don't know what to tell these guys. It's like, you know, sometimes bad luck is just bad luck. Um, I got, I guess I'll do something a little self-serving here. When we did our mock draft as a network, um, my pick for DC, even though I, I kind of suspected that they were going to trade their pick. Um, my pick, we don't, we don't do that in ours. It would be utter chaos if you gave, uh, 23 bloggers the option to start trading picks we would never we would still be working on it um i feel like but uh i picked uh chris mueller for dc united and in real life orlando city took chris mueller um how how has he done so far for the lions uh chris mueller's been very good uh he he of course um he's cooled off a little lately but he had goals uh, three i think three goals in four games and he's he's just a kid that bust his hump out there every minute that he's on the pitch he's he's uh you know he's still got a lot to learn he's young and the pro game is still um an adjustment for him uh but he is he, he works hard and if you work hard on the pitch in, in mls you're gonna you're gonna make some plays and he's he always seems to be around the ball he he likes to get on the ball he's a better passer than he is a scorer and he's really, uh, I mean, for a time, he kept uh, the young designated player, Josue Coleman, off the field. So he was doing quite well. Of late, he's cooled off a bit. But I think you're going to expect sort of lulls from rookies. And, um, you know, I, I expect that uh, he'll he'll go through another streak here at some point and score goals in a few games. But uh, he's he's always dangerous around the net. He always works hard. And he's he's got a pretty darn good first touch, which is something that you don't see a lot out of these guys coming out of college. So, Michael, we've talked a little bit about Jason Kreiss, but let's talk about the man who's at least temporarily uh, succeeding him. Uh, Bobby Murphy is the uh, temporary head coach. Do you have any indication about what he's going to do? Is it going to be a similar style to what Kreiss has done? Is he going to try and make a a name for himself and try and grab the head coaching job? What's, What's his deal? I think Bobby knows that he's he's a placeholder. I think this organization will go out and and try to try to make a big name signing. I think Scolari was the 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 
the popular name that we've heard, uh, Taylor Twelman, uh, tweeted out about him, although I have reservations about hiring somebody that will be 70 years old before MLS Cup is given out at the end of this season. Um, Although that makes sense from the Brazilian ownership. Exactly. I I think that um, Bobby is is comfortable in just kind of holding on to the reins for a a temporary time. He's he's always been a a guy who liked to work with the academies and, and and uh, work with the young kids and, and sort of be that liaison bef- between the top uh, the top flight team and, and the academy. So I think you'll see him. Uh, I, I definitely think that he'll, he'll he's, a, he's a motivational guy. He's a, a high-energy guy. They, you know, the, the players all like him and they respect him. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's coached four MLS games before between uh, Heath and Christ, and he went 0-1-3 and in those games. So... Um, still yet to taste victory. It's kind of up in the air what he's going to do with U.S. Open Cup. And this is kind of a new uh, situation for him. Will he put out a really strong side and try to win it and, and not worry as much about league games, or or will he, you know, pull back and then maybe hold something back for Montreal after the the loss at Montreal is going to pretty much necessitate that Orlando City gets a result uh, when they come to Orlando. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting to get out to training and, and get some clips of, and, and, and talk to him a little bit and see what his thinking is uh, going into this set of games because I'm almost at this point with a, a major coaching change in the middle of the year, you would almost think um, maybe U.S. Open Cup would be a little bit more uh, prioritized because it might seem like a, a better way to win a trophy or at least a, a, a less difficult route. Yeah, we, we we know all about uh, winning a U.S. Open Cup in an otherwise lost season. <laughs> uh, I guess my other that question Lewis is: it, it, Well, yeah, it is the Lewis Neal connection. Um, how is Lewis Neal? Is he still with the organization? Is he coaching? What what's he doing? Uh, I think that Lewis Neal is going to end up playing um, indoor soccer, um, arena soccer in the in the MASL. Um, Okay. But I could be wrong. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of been kicking around. He was doing some broadcasting for the team, um, but there's not as much need for that now. Um, now that the the USL side is uh, sort of dormant this year, um, but I think he's still kicking around. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, um, you know, playing for the the uh, the what do they call the Orlando Sea Wolves? Do you think they're bringing back OCB in a year or two, or is that a unofficially done deal that it's just gone. I think the plan is to bring them back in uh, USL division three. Um, uh, okay. That's certainly not uh, anything official or anything that's imminent at this point, but my sense is that that's what they'd like to do. And then I get my last real question before I got distracted uh, is you, you talked about Scolari. Uh, in your mind, who would be, among the list of realistic, but your top tier list of people you think that you would like to see Orlando City get for their full-time head coach? I think my first call would be to Mark Dos Santos, who was the uh, Sacramento Republic coach. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not Sacramento, uh, San Francisco Deltas, who uh, he led them yeah. uh, in, in basically a lame duck year, led them to a championship 
and uh, I believe he's now an assistant under Bob Bradley with LAFC. He's a he's a bright young guy, and I think that he's um, a guy that I would look at immediately uh, because you know I think that some fresh blood would be good. And another guy that I would look at is a former Orlando City USL player who's uh, been doing great things in the USL is James O'Connor with Louisville City. Um, but I'm sure that this this ownership group would like to bring in somebody a little more um, well-known. I think that they feel some pressure to match what Atlanta United's done with uh, Tata. So I think that that's pretty much the route they're going to go. I don't know that they're going to find that guy. I don't know if Scolari's that guy. At, at, you know, Like I said, he's 69 years old. Um, a few years removed from Brazil's head coach. Uh, of course, famously lost on home soil 7-1 in the uh, in the semifinals of the World Cup to Germany. Um, but, I mean, he does have a wealth of experience. He's a respected name. I, I don't know if he could uh, if he can get it done here or not. A lot of foreign coaches have not done well here. Um, we'll see. Speaking about Brazilians, I don't think uh, Dunga has a job right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think he will have a job anytime soon. <laughs> I like Jason's audible ugh in the background there. <laughs> so with all the question marks, uh, the the coach's style, the, the players on the field, the fact that it's an Open Cup game during a World Cup, if you were planning against Orlando City in this game, what would you be focusing on? I would be focusing on... Um laying back and hitting on the counter because that's really what teams have done well against Orlando city. Um, Vancouver feasted on that, uh, albeit mostly late in the game. Um, it's weird because you, you look at the score of that game and it was five to two, but it was a, it was a one, one game with about 15 minutes to play. And it was two, one game, I think with five minutes to play. And then all of a sudden um, pushing for that second goal and also being down a man, they just started uh, just one after another, just plunking them in the net. So, um, I, and you know, basically everybody that's done well against Orlando City has has done it on the counter. It's it's uh, you you wait, and Orlando City will at some point make a critical mistake in the middle of the pitch, and with their fullbacks forward, they'll be stretched, and it'll be the pickings at the other end. And, and quite frankly, Joe Bendick has not been as good this year as we've seen in years past. So he's not making the highlight real saves that he has made um, in 2016 and 2017. So that's kind of what I would do. Um, and I would I would pressure, if I'm going to pressure at all, I would pressure early in the match because Orlando City seems to take a 10 to 15 minutes to get into a match. And then from that point on, I would just sit behind the ball and wait for my opportunities to go the other way. That actually lines up with DC United's usual pattern this year. High press early and then hopefully get a lead and then sit back um, to varying degrees of success uh, on especially the latter part of that plan. Uh, it hasn't always worked, uh, but, but if they pursue it, hopefully, you know, at least from our end, hopefully it works this time around. Michael, thanks for coming back on the show. Why don't you tell people where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, you can read our stuff at themainland.com. That is uh, Maine as on Lions Maine, M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N. We do like our lion puns over there. Um, find us on Twitter at the mainland, 
And uh, me personally, I'm at Mainland Michael. Um, and of course, uh, our podcast is available on iTunes and Google Play and all those other uh, places. And it's the Mainland Podcast. And podcast is, again, a pun, P-A-W-E-D-E-A-S-T. <laughs> Puns on puns down there in Florida. Uh, <laughs> find us at blackandredunited.com. Support us financially at filibu- at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are available. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's it for us. We will talk to you again real soon for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam and thanking Michael one more time. Say goodbye, Jason. Hollywood, it's time for Ghost Shark 2. It's not. No, it is. Is. no it's not. Ghost Shark, Ghost Shark versus Mansquito. Alright, that, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs>